Oh yeah. The 80s, still strong. As my introduction music testifies. This is Peter John on this Friday morning. Grateful to be alive. (laughs) Thankful to be with you. And looking forward to the weekend for lots of reasons, not just because of football games, nor only because of high school basketball games, but most of all, because we get to gather on Sunday as we have for so many years. And remember that it is finished. The work is complete and the Lord is to be glorified. This is, again, Peter John. Glad you're tuned in to this Friday weekend edition of Rogue Grace. And we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, where the writer says, Let us therefore strive. Here we go. All right, you know that that's what religion is all about. That's what it means to be a good Christian, right? Let us strive. Wait. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. (laughs) I love that kind of almost contradiction, but it's not. I love that way that it says strive to rest because you know what that's what it takes most of us don't naturally rest most of us are wanting to put it into fifth gear to try to accomplish what we can and there's nothing wrong with accomplishing but We strive to do so because perhaps even subconsciously or subtly, we're trying to justify ourselves at work, at home, at church. But the key is, it says strive to rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What same sort of disobedience? of the people, the children of Israel who could not enter the promised land, not because of sin, not because of um, dangerous behavior, but simply because they didn't rest. They weren't trusting, believing, having faith in God. And see, that's important Because so often I know that I fall short in my behavior or I lack in my actions. But that's not what keeps me out of the promised land, the place of blessing. What gets me in is simply resting. Resting in the Lord. See, 
They didn't believe those people of Israel in the Exodus account in Numbers and Deuteronomy when they didn't enter the promised land. They didn't believe how good God was. <laughs> you know, they just didn't believe that he was on their side, that he was good. Not completely, and that kept them out. Now, it's the next verse that we're going to look at this morning. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We'll be right back.
one of the great themes of this book of Hebrews is simply, you're in. <laughs> That's it. You're in, so don't go anywhere. <laughs> you can't go any further than the Holy of Holies. You can't go any deeper than the Holy of Holies. You've gone through the outer court, the inner court, and are in the Holy of Holies because the veil has been torn when Jesus died on the cross. By dying, he shred, he ripped that veil from top to bottom that we can right now know you're in. You are in. And so rest in that. That's the great theme that we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 4. To rest. To enter that rest. It's kind of, my dad put it this way in his commentary. Like riding a bike. Learning to rest in the Lord. Rest in faith. Rest from good works as a means to validate your righteousness riding a bike right when i was a kid you remember riding a bike right first learning i remember at jacksonville elementary my pop and i went down there and i got on my little tiny bike and it was a miniature little guy and i got on there and i went for a ride. It was a good one. I mean, I was going full steam ahead as he let go of the bike and I was on it. Right into the back of a pickup truck. Boom. Didn't feel so good. Yeah, I may have even cried a tear or two. But as you begin to learn to ride a bike, let me tell you, you can be off that bike for years but then you can still get on a bike and remember just where you left off pick up right there well resting in the lord is kind of like learning to ride a bike it really is at first it kind of you run into this and you hit that the back of a pickup truck if you would of morality and inner um, turmoil and trying to, but after a while you begin to get the hang of it and say, ah, now I'm kind of, I'm riding, I'm, I'm gliding, I'm in it, I can rest. And you actually, like a bike, you get places. You do things that you never thought you might have done before. Because you're not doing those things as a means to be righteous, but because you already are. Listen, listen to this. As we look at the book of Hebrews, you sin because you are a sinner. Okay? You sin because you are a sinner. But the same is true now. You are because through Christ you are right. I should say you do right because you are righteous. Not you are righteous because you do right. Listen, not you are righteous because you do right. Listen, not you are righteous because you do right. 
because of your behavior, because you keep the rules, because you follow the list. No. No one can, no one has, no one does. But you are right because you are righteous, not vice versa. You are right because your righteousness is as secure as Jesus's. For Jesus granted you that righteousness. So in light of that now, let's look at the verse, Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper. Now, it just finished telling us in verse 11 to strive to enter that rest. Then the next verse says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So let's take it in context. Let's look at what the verse was before. Strive to enter the rest and the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, the two go hand in hand. You might, I might assume if it wasn't for the full context of it that, wow, yeah, the word of God is sharp. Man, it cuts me deep. It, if you would, circumcises my heart. And it does those things, but in context, that's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about the ability of the word of God to get us into a place of rest. When you read the word of God correctly, the New Testament accurately. Yeah, it's sharp, but it's sharp in order to give you rest, not stress. Rest, not rules. Rest. Beautiful, perfect rest. And it's sharp. See, it gets down deep into you. When the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God, the Old and New Testament, to show you that the work is complete, that Jesus finished it all, it's sharp. I remember, I, I know this from my own experiences like you do. I mean, from what I'm told, I, I don't have perfect recollection of these things, but when I was in the hospital recently, for those five or six weeks that I was there. I don't remember a whole lot. What I was told by those that were there, my mom, my dad, my wife, those that came and saw me, what have you, was that I was repeating the word of God verbatim. Let me tell you, that's a relief for lots of reasons. One thing I'm glad I wasn't quoting, I don't know, Sports Center. Or um, silver spoons or something. But I was repeating the word of God. I'm not saying this to brag. I had nothing to do with this. I don't even remember doing it. But I was repeating the word of God. Everything else I said didn't make any sense. <laughs> but then I would quote the scriptures and sing hymns verbatim, perfectly. That's what they, they were amazed by it. Even though I wasn't conscious in a good way, necessarily, in other areas, in that one, somehow, the Word of God was prevalent, prominent in my 
my consciousness in my speaking. I think that's amazing to me. It shows you how sharp the word of God really is. That though you're not always conscious of it, it goes down deeper than your consciousness. It goes down deeper than your mentality or your mindset that you're aware of. It goes down deep into your spirit. So when you read the Bible, if you were to open it up right now and read the Bible, it's a spiritual experience that goes down deep like a sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul and spirit, we read. It discerns thoughts and intentions. And not in a condemning way as Christians, but in a way that reminds us to rest, that God is in control and the work is finished. It reminds you that you sin because you're a sinner, but you're also right. You do right because you're righteous and not vice versa. It's cool to realize that this is how, this is the final product, if you would. In many ways, this is the reason that Jesus died and rose again. Not, if Jesus died to produce people who never, ever sinned again, then um, it would have to be a failure because I don't know anybody who never, ever has sinned. <laughs> Today, tomorrow, yesterday. If Jesus died to produce people who never sinned, then it wasn't an accomplishment. He didn't succeed. But if Jesus died to produce people whose sins are forgiven and that changes their lives, he has done a marvelous job indeed. So apply that to your own life and your own heart right now. No, Jesus didn't die that you might never sin again. Jesus died that your sin would be forgiven and you would walk in that light. Sunset fades. Lullabies have all been sung. We're tucking in another day. Stars appear now one by one. But the stillness moves and the silence yields. Not a single beat is lost You can hear the chorus in the fields Taking up where we left off And your praise goes on Rising to
If Jesus died to produce people who never sinned, then there would be some big problems, would there not be? (laughs) However, if Jesus died so that we might know our sins are forgiven, then perfect, complete, bravo to him, all praise for him. Because, as you know, as a Christian, you're not sinless. You still have your struggles. You still have your issues, just like before you were a Christian. But, underneath, you recognize that you are justified. You are righteous perfectly. And that, indeed, if you're patient, will change your life and change even your behavior. So, just looking to Jesus is what brings about salvation, sanctification, which means to be changed and altered. 
and ultimately glorification. Just looking to him. Remember there in the Numbers, the book of Numbers, here we see a good example. Something in which God was showing that he already had this in mind. He already had a plan. When the people of Israel were once again complaining, murmuring, just like we all do, their mindset, their viewpoint was off. And yet, because of that, God allowed them to go through it. He says, okay, I've been protecting you. I'll let off for a minute and see how it goes. And sure enough, snakes, remember this? Started biting them, striking them, venom. And so out of desperation, snake bitten, they call out, help us, God. They call out to Moses, help us. I'm so glad that God listens, not just when I'm at peace and at rest, but when I'm desperate, when I'm just about to go off the edge, even through my own idiocy, (laughs) he listens to me and he listened to them. And he said, Moses, here's what you will do. Create a bronze serpent, place it upon a pole. And whoever looks upon the bronze serpent on the pole will be healed of their snake bite, of their venom. Just by looking, just by viewing the serpent on the pole, the people would be healed of the venom that was running through their bodies. Just by looking at Jesus, you are healed. Just by viewing the cross, There's power that is given to you to overcome the poison of depression or of addiction or of anger or of sin. Just by looking, just by taking the body and the blood, just by taking communion, just by opening the word, just by, that's the power of the cross. We're not simply talking here Um, superficiality or I'm not just using um, some kind of mantra or slogan. This is the truth. Whether you're in a hospital bed like I was for all of those weeks or you're at the factory at work or at home with the kids or in the office, wherever you might be, just by looking, you will find healing Right now, I'm finding healing this very moment as I look at the cross. And see, that's the powerful thing about our scripture this morning. Where it reads, For the word of God is living and active or powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. In and of itself, as it's often quoted, it sounds kind of intimidating. Whoa, if I open up the Bible, man, piercing is going to take place. Division, alteration, and operation. Yeah, but look at the verse before. Let us strive to enter the rest. <laughs> so it's not to be something that is antagonistic to you, uncomfortable, or 
or disastrous. It is a place of rest and peace. That all the junk that's causing you stress is going to be cut off and removed. All the stuff that's dragging you down is going to be taken away. And all that remains in your heart is the peace of God that comes by his word, which is so sharp it goes beyond your consciousness, beyond your minute thinking, beyond my minute brain, and goes deep down to within us and gives us rest. Now that's a powerful scalpel. That's a powerful operation that only God's word can do. So like the people of Israel had to do in the wilderness before they came into Israel, healing takes, comes from taking your eyes off yourself, not by analyzing yourself, but by putting your eyes upon the one who became sin for you the one who died on the cross, taking your eyes off yourself and placing them upon the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where true healing comes from. Healing doesn't come from analyzing yourself, scrutinizing yourself, blaming necessarily yourself, or applauding yourself, but losing yourself that you might find yourself in the finished work of the cross.
Don't go back. That's what the book, the letter of Hebrews is all about. Don't go back. Don't go back. And in this case, in this book, it's not a matter of into hedonism or into trashy living or into sinfulness outwardly. No, don't go back into the law because you're already in. You're already in the holiest of all. You're already in the most perfect place. The veil has been torn, so don't go back. Don't slide into superstition or backslide into legalism. You're already in, so don't go back. Enjoy the peace of knowing that your sins are forgiven. The work is accomplished. That is, to me, one of the great, beautiful truths of this book of Hebrews. And, and we've been looking at Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then the next verse says, listen, And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Aha! Pete, see, what you're saying is true, but you're not giving it the proper context. Because it says in the very next verse, no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to him, who we must give an account. Yep, that is the absolute truth. No one knows you as much as God does. God knows you more than you even know yourself. But... We can't just stop there. You got to take the whole thing into context. Because the next verse says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Yes, Lord, praise your name. Oh, hallelujah to our God. In whom the scripture says, no creature is hidden from his sight. All things are naked and exposed before him. We all have to give an account. If it stopped there, I would be in trouble. And I think you would be too. But then the next verse says we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. See, it's the idea of knowing that God knows. That allows me even more boldness to say, you already know God. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm not covering up. You see all things. You know all things. And I'm going to come just as I am to your throne. Now that's called the throne of grace. And I'm looking forward to talking about that more as we continue to look at the book of Hebrews. This scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 
in verse 14, verse 15, and 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. When? When you're doing great? No, in time of need. God has grace for you in time of need. Not when you are perfect. Not when you are completely and totally righteous. But when you are in a time of need, that's when his grace is available, ready to be given to you. So, open up his word. Talk to the Lord. He already knows. The Bible says we just read. It's all naked and open before him. You don't have to act. You don't have to do some kind of play. Not with God. You can't. Just come as you are. He already knows. Yet he has justified you through Jesus Christ. So tomorrow, let's look at Hebrews 4. Let's look at the fact that we can come boldly to his throne of grace to find just that grace in time of need. Thank you for tuning in. I'm looking forward to this weekend. Come on out. Services again, 8.30 and 11 o'clock. I'll see you there. God bless.